Hello and welcome back to the B2Bs podcast, the best place to collect killer ideas for big business. And today we have got a beast in the building. She is a longstanding legend in the tech product development and engineering space, formerly at Microsoft and Zululi, but is now the CEO of Falcon AI a revenue intelligence system that helps businesses identify and amplify key drivers of growth. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mona Akmal. Whoa, I've never had such an amazing intro, Travis. You're the best. It's great to be here. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Honored, honored to have you here. Uh, long overdue. Very excited for this conversation. Um, where are you tuning in from right now? I am sitting in a tiny room in Seattle, which is in the front of my house because I have too many pets dogs and cats that I've locked out so we can be uninterrupted. <laughs> oh, love it. Love it. Well, starting uh, soft and easy here, what are you most grateful for in your world over there in Seattle and your life, your business, everything you've got brewing over there? What are you most grateful for right now? I mean, I'm grateful that I get to live my dream. You know, um, I chose technology as an accident and it has afforded me the life that I wanted to live and freedom, um, you know, the freedom to be who I am, the freedom to live my life the way I want. And um, I mean, I, I have to say my dogs, uh, I am very grateful for them every day. They are all love. Oh, well, uh, yeah, I'm a sucker uh, for that one over here. <laughs> um, brilliant to hear that top of mind. And I'm excited yeah, to, to jump into your story, your world that you've really crafted and created for yourself. Um, so let's jump into spotlighting your story. I'd love to hear what do you consider the biggest win or biggest milestone moment of, of your career, your journey so far that you're really just pumped and proud of right now? Yeah. So, you know, it's um, when I was fundraising for my company, uh, a lot of uh, investors were asking me, you know, are you ready for this and so on. And uh, so the story I'm going to give you is a personal one because it does feed into my profession. You know, I grew up in Pakistan and uh when I was a kid, I was part of a family that was very well off, never thought about money. Then when I was 12, my dad died and we had no money. So we went from never thinking about money to not knowing how to pay the bills. And so I had to grow up really fast. And that's actually how I got into technology. And I moved to the US for a job at Microsoft when I was 20 years old and realized when I landed in this country, because I didn't know anybody here, that you all drive on the wrong side of the road. <laughs> um, and so the reason why I share that is because to me, that's a recurring theme in my life and in my career. Uh, you jump in head first because you have the faith and the confidence that you will figure out how to swim <laughs> once you're in it. Uh, and that's something I'm really proud of. 
Wow. No, and that is not an easy journey. I can barely I can barely go on like a road trip to like a new state without it feeling like I'm in a, a whole new world. Um, so I cannot even imagine that dramatic of a family shift um, and then a life shift and then a, a geographic shift, a culture shift, um, all of that happening at once. But you were able to find your lane. What pulled you towards tech and and um, this new era that would probably not be on your menu in in prior years um what were the signals or things that started guiding you towards that lane yeah so i think one was i wanted to pick a field that i could actually be good at right so uh not all of us are meant to be good at everything and i think we actually spend a lot of time trying to get better at things we're weak at. And I don't think that's the path to a successful life. Instead, if you can really figure out what you're good at and then just double down on it and align your professional choices with the things you innately um, know how to do, it results in success. So I'm an analytical problem solver. I've always fidgeted with things to try and figure out how they work. Uh, how do you put things together? How do you solve puzzles? And um, technology was honestly the only space where I felt I could create and also problem solve at the same time. Uh, and then the second reason was, very honestly, uh, you know, I knew I had to support my mom and I had to make money and making a small amount of money wasn't enough. I had to get to financial security Back then, tech was for nerds, and I'm talking about like 1996, 97. And, um, but it was so obvious, right? Like you had to only think for 30 minutes and see where the arc was going to go. And I've always uh, been a fan of catching the wave before it becomes a wave because uh, then you actually get to ride it. Uh, so yes. that was, I think, the motivation. That's amazing. No, and hearing uh, the timeline, that is an early that is an early adopter. Uh, the the nerds, there were not a lot of nerds out there. Now it's like almost cool totally. to be the Silicon Valley nerds. Like that was when you really had to be full full nerd. Full nerd. Yeah, it was not cool. Like people were not your friends because you were you were a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm glad you persevered and were able to find that lane, find that angle, because those pivots that you were able to take since then have really crafted a new lane in this world of, of that analytical problem solving. Um, so I'd love to hear perhaps that those pivots now when you were in nerd mode back in the 90s um, and those waves of stuff are coming when we saw the dot, dot com burst and bubble and that whole adventure. And then we now saw a second wave of, of Web 3.0 and now we've got AI coming in place. Mm -hmm. How do we recognize and understand those pivot points and or waves when are when is the time to know like this is the this is the one we're riding um it's it it's is it intuition is it data um how what was your approach or your mindset in those in that chapter yeah so i think that you know first you have to keep yourself close to uh places uh where you can get information about new and recent projects and a lot of times that's not actually 
you know, listening to and recent Horowitz's podcast, because by that time, it's too late already. Um, but, you know, for instance, I love reading uh, papers that are published uh, by PhD candidates for areas that I'm really excited about. Um, I love seeing all the YC, com uh, YC startups, and I like to research where those founders came from, because a lot of them, what schools they went to, gives you a, a sort of a lineage of the hot pockets of ideation, yes. right? The third thing I would say is reading books and listening to people that have nothing to do with technology. Um, because a lot of innovation, there are no new ideas anymore, right? It's basically you take an idea that is well understood and applied in one space and you apply it to a totally different space and magic happens, right? Love so that. I'm always looking for that. And then lastly, you know, not every innovation or wave is something I'm personally excited about. So it's a Venn diagram of cool stuff that is happening and cool stuff that I am interested in because I have no interest in writing a wave that might be hot shit for other people, but I would be bored out of my mind thinking about it. Like biotech. I don't care about biotech. You know, I just don't. Oh, not that nerdy. Okay, that's a different uh -huh. type of nerd. <laughs> no, I've a hundred percent. I feel you on understanding and recognizing um, a lot of people kind of trend hop, I guess, in a way with things that on a macro level, sure, maybe it's coming, it's there, but there's a whole other piece of that puzzle of personal interest, personal compatibility. Is this something you're going to be good at? Um, so I think, yeah, merging both of those metrics, kind of the external where are things going? And then bringing it to that internal level. Absolutely amazing. Um, brilliant, brilliant uh, approach and perspective, uh, especially the idea of no new ideas existing anymore. Is, uh, something I continually have to try and show, especially coming from music. Like yeah. every chord progression has you could ever think of has existed. Uh, yes. And now there's lawsuits and stuff coming out of like, what did this chord progression from the 1900s like? What did right. Ed Sheeran steal it in 2020? <laughs> like, yep. and business has that too. It's about finding the application of the ideas in a new area. And I think for folks that are stuck in generating new ideas or creativity, that's one of the easiest ways. Stop thinking of it as an idea like planted from scratch, like out of nothing, and just be like, oh, I'm going to combine this with this. Boom. Here we go. <laughs> Very glad to be in good company here on that one. Um, so in your story, in your journey so far, you've spent a lot of time in the business B2B space. I'm very curious to hear what is the wildest way you have ever seen somebody earn your attention or business? Mm. Or perhaps somebody like a boss of yours or, a comp or somebody around you. Mm. What's the wildest way? I mean, there's the funniest way. Or um, most creative, most funniest. <laughs> Let's, we can go funniest as well. That is also very applicable. <laughs> hey, I mean, in that, it's extremely memorable. And if I think about it, it got the job done. Uh, we were interviewing a BDR uh, a while back. And uh, this kid shows up. I think he had heard one of my podcasts or something. 
and had found out what my favorite color was. And he showed up head to toe wearing that color. Even the backdrop was that color. And he had prepared a song for me based on all the podcasts that he had heard. And he sang me that song that was written for me. I mean, that's brilliant. And I'm so not worthy of that much personalization. <laughs> but we hired him. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yep. Wow. And meanwhile, people are out here using personalization tokens. Hello, first name. <laughs> Hello, first name. Uh, and that is the contrast. If you're wondering why your personalization tokens aren't working, it's because there's other people writing songs for exactly. Mona. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you see where the bar is, right? Come on. Wow, that is amazing. Um, and clearly, yeah, there is a reason people are knocking at that door because you guys really are on another level, you individually and what you're building here with Falcon. So I'd love to start steering that towards you and see if we can steal some of your secret sauce here because you're doing something right over there. And I want to tap into it on both sides, personal and professional. So in your personal life, your personal day-to-day -day workflow, what habit or task is non-negotiable for you? Just something that has to happen like every day or ideally every day. <laughs> I'll tell you, I mean, I'm a big believer in rituals and routines because I think they uh, actually prevent leakage of energy, right? When you're, when you're, for instance, during the week, I know exactly what I need to eat for lunch and dinner the whole week, so I don't have to think about it. I know what I have to wear, so I don't think about it. I know exactly what my day is going to look like, and I sound like the most boring person on the planet, but it's because I am conserving all my energy for my work, and I want to be in peak performance mode for work, so everything else needs to just shut the fuck up, right? And so I organize my life around that. And then I'd say the rituals in the day that are must-haves. I must start my day by talking to my mom because she anchors me. Um, it gives me breadth of perspective that there is more to life than what I happen to be doing in Slack that day. And second is I make a list of things I will get done and the day is not over till those things are done, period, full stop. Sometimes that's at 4 p.m., sometimes that's at midnight, and that just is what it is. Wow. I love that single phrase, uh, energy leakage. Energy leakage is a seemingly bizarre concept at first, but I think tons of us are not even recognizing or realizing um, especially those of us that are overthinkers and over worriers. Um, it is very easy to think of all the 25 potential things we could have on the menu, what's going to be effective, ineffective. And I love how concise that really your day has come. Like there's no, there's no like fat, like kid just, there's oh, no I'm just, fat. just killing time for like 45 minutes finishing this email and then i'll get back to it later <laughs> like, uh, none uh. of that Cl crystal clear very lean very concise i love love hearing that um thank you do you use any 
tools or applications in that process of making sure you're on track, not on track? Um, how do you organize all that chaos? What what what's your tech stack look like? Or, or you're, lack you're, <laughs> you're, yeah, the the I should have you know when you were asking me what's a question you should stay away from this is the one. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. So my personal to do list I've done this since I was uh, since I had a computer which was in 1994. Um, I send myself an email. That's it. It's my to do list sent to me by me in email. And that's it. That's my only tool. Oh my gosh. Well, we have the original task management software from back in the 90s is emailing yourself. Yep. That is amazing. I love hearing this because you are undebatably at an elite, like top tier, high performer level. And all of these apps and systems and coaches and all of this are always pushing this these workflows and automations and life management and that and you literally just email yourself yes i do everything you need that yep. is amazing simplicity folks i think this is the less the recurring lesson here um simplicity is very very powerful when used right i'm so glad you call it that that is it simple is you it, perfectionism i how do i optimize it you haven't earned the right to optimize anything if you can get through a list of things that you send yourself in an email you have not earned the right to have a you know monitor like this thing right the, yeah, how many steps app, am i going to walk and you're going to yeah. blow past that and you're going to blow past the next one and the one after that because what's missing is discipline and that discipline doesn't apps don't give you discipline, right? Yeah, these are these are stinging a little here. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> stinging a little. Take it easy. Take it easy. Uh, it is, but it very much is a discipline, um, disciplinary measure. Like all the tools and bells and alerts. Um, and there's probably even an argument um, in the context of energy leakage that more of that might not be as helpful as you think more alerts and this and that and slack notifications all day but a single email to yourself get it done by the end of the day yep that's how you change the world folks that is how you change the world i love this so let's shift more from your personal side now to falcon and or your theory your process your strategy behind this revenue intelligence systems can you share at first what is a re revenue intelligence system and then we can get into more so your specific approach or strategy for how people can leverage this leverage this in their business yeah for sure so you know uh there's revenue intelligence 1.0 which is salesforce our crm we all love it and hate it and it's very basic there's Revenue Intelligence 2.0, which is the Clary's and the Gong revenue forecasting stuff of the world. Uh, the thesis that we are focused on is revenue is not just something that is that starts from pipeline and ends up in closed one, i.e. something that a sales rep does. Revenue is a company-wide uh, effort, right? 
Um, if your marketing teams and your BDRs are not generating high quality pipeline, what do you think that's going to do? It's going to result in not enough revenue. If you close a bunch of deals and you have no ability to retain your customers, what do you think that's going to do? It's going to leak revenue, right? We are the only company that, uh, you know, uh, not in marketing, but in actual code, thinks about the entire revenue life cycle from the first time a prospect becomes aware of your company all the way to renewal. And we are actively trying to break down the team silos and the shit slinging that happens internally, right? Where marketing is saying sales isn't following up on my pipeline. Sales is saying marketing is a bunch of idiots. They don't know how to generate pipeline. Nobody talks to customer success at all because who cares about customers, right? Um, and expansions are done. Like I have account managers reach out to me asking me to expand our usage of a product and they have no idea how we use the product. And I'm like, so clearly you don't even know who we are. You might have looked me up in Zoom Info, but you have a mountain of data about me as a user of your services and you have no fucking idea what, what that is, right? So we're trying to right-size this equation by looking at the entire revenue life cycle instead of looking at one part of it and calling it revenue intelligence. To me, that's revenue intelligence 3.0 and that's what we're doing. Mm, love it. No, endless evolution. And it's one of those things on its the surface it seems very simple again, but once you get under the hood, lots of people add all of these silos, departments, blames. Uh, there's an attribution nightmare going on in digital and everybody's like, no, look, they went, they visited on Google once. They're ours. Look, no, they came from social. No, look, they came from an email. Um, and it's difficult to really simplify again that equation. So I love seeing now your personal theories kind of coming to this uh, business model and, and service you're kind of essentially offering in uh, a way to really zero in on those key drivers and not only recognize them, but then part B, crank them up. Yeah. Um, so how does this happen? How can you share your specific process or strategy or at least kind of the steps that a company goes through to start building that infrastructure identify the drivers and then crank it up to 11. <laughs> yes absolutely i'll actually also you you're uh, i love that you're connecting these dots because you know now that i'm thinking about it uh energy leakage is also the thing that i'm trying to solve for with falcon for other companies because it drives me bad shit crazy to see marketing leaders and finance and sales fighting with each other because we've got a war to win outside, right? Why are we leaking energy fighting within the same company? Like our mission is the same. Our goals should be aligned. So why waste energy fighting? We should all be sort of one force that is going out and spending its energy externally focused. But... um. The, the process to me is step one, because unfortunately in the go-to-market space, there are so many tools and the more tools you have, the more silos you have, right? So step one is 
you have to unify your data because data silos will result in team silos. And actually, often team silos are the reason why data silos are not uh, bridged, right? There's a political reason not to bridge the data silos. Uh, so step one, actually, I think is the CEO, the CFO have to make a decision that they want their whole go-to-market team to function as one instead of four. Second, once that executive sponsorship exists, that we will not leak our energy on each other, instead we're going to fight as one team, the, that sponsorship should translate into a data unification initiative. And that, that's where I believe there's the dumb way to do it and the smart way to do it. The dumb way to do it is I'm going to hire a bunch of data engineers and analytics company, get a snowflake instance, stand, go through a three-year data unification project, even though I have no fucking business building it. It's not core to my business and I'm wasting a bunch of money, right? So use something like Falcon to do that data unification and we can do it in two weeks, not like three years. And then the third step is use that data for operational intelligence. I'm not big on strategic intelligence because to me, a huge reason why companies fail is not because their strategy was wrong. It's because they simply could not execute with efficiency. So Deliver the strategic insights, but then actually step three is what is the operational uh, mechanism for using this data? That can simply be, we will do a weekly business review across marketing, sales, account management, and finance. And every week we are going to look at the key drivers for the indicators for the health of our business. And we're going to analyze what changed. Now we're going to do a monthly business review with the entire company. So it drives transparency, it drives accountability. Third, we are going to use this data to actually automate our workflows. So all the dumb shit that we waste our time on can just be automated. And I'll give you a very simple example. We use this internally at Falcon. Uh, so when we first hired our BDR team, uh, we noticed that they spent 40% of their time going into Zoom info, finding accounts, finding contacts, putting them in this place, that place, then enrolling them in this outreach sequence. Marketing is doing their own thing and enrolling them in HubSpot campaigns. All of that can be automated. You don't need, as long as you have your criteria, like which, which types of accounts do you want to go after and what type of contacts do you want to prospect. So we built an automated prospecting tool internally for our own use. And now we are selling it because it's so Im impactful, right? So 40% of what a BDR does every day has been automated. So now they can do what they're great at, which is coming up with super creative um, cold calls and super creative sequences like writing songs for their prospects and writing songs for their prospective employers, right? Oh my gosh, I love it. I love it, love it. So you've really been able to, it's, I really just think of it, yeah, as bandwidth reallocation. There's obviously yes. X the number of credits we can spend every day that that BDR can invest. And now you've taken 40% of those credits to now spend somewhere else um, in 
more creative, more uh, impactful work. Uh, love, love seeing this. So having that approach of commitment was the first piece. Commitment to that unified strategy, removing those silos, technically and politically, <laughs> um, and then really doubling down on those key just listening tree and having that i guess lens there's a dash of like courage i guess i would attach to it especially as a ceo or a vp that you have to accept the truth that's going to come out of the answer of that response that's where i think a lot of that political and attribution like stuff kind of has come into play because people have found a way like oh no we're totally contributing to half of the revenue here we promise just don't look at it under the <laughs> or whatever. And some CEOs, some VPs are very much not going to like stepping into that decision. But looking at it one step further and being able to accept that delayed gratification, I guess, and recognize you got to rip the Band-Aid off, accept that you are leaking revenue and dollars here, whether you want to admit it or not. Um, I think that level of transparency is very much where we're at, especially in digital marketing and where everything is heading now. <laughs> um, it is going to be very difficult, if not more difficult to attribute, um, cause there's so many channels, so many touch points, so many people involved, uh, and the higher you go, um, on that food chain with high ticket, big ticket services. The even crazier that that uh, situation gets. So it's not as simple as a single conversion like it used to be back in, back in the 90s. <laughs> um, it's just a very practical approach you've put forward here. And I love, love, love hearing it. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much for sharing your system, your secret sauce here with the rest of us. We're going to now jump into the world's fastest game show ever and hook you up here with a prize. Are you ready to play this or that? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. It. This is a super simple game. I'm going to be getting these answers uh, or these options here with you. All you got to do is pick one and make it through three rounds. Number one, attend a party or host the party. Host. Which would you rather? Host? Oh, we got a host, of course. This <laughs> not entirely surprised <laughs> by that. Uh, let's hear a different one. Guacamole or salsa? Guac. Oh, guac. Easy. She's She's got it. She's on lock. Okay. Would you rather lose sleep or skip a meal? Skip a meal. Boom. Done. There you Good. go. Game over. We just beat the game. Amazing. You're the easiest game in the world. Your prize. Uh, now, would love to hear. We've understood the avenue in which you, how you help businesses identify and amplify that revenue. Now, how do we get a hold of you? How do we follow you? How do we find you and start this journey with Mona and Falcon? Yeah. So, uh, you know, one. My email address is very simple, mona at falcon.ai. It's falcon with a K. The K is extremely cheap. The C is very expensive. So we picked that. Yes. There's no story well behind it. Um, and, uh, you know, you can also always find me on LinkedIn. Uh, go to our website, falcon.ai. Pretty simple. Boom. Simple as that. And we'll have those hooked up here for you guys. Um, so 
very, very much appreciate uh, your time here and heavily recommend anybody listening for that follow uh, at minimum on LinkedIn and out there on the platforms, um, but connecting directly with Mona because they really are on another level. Um, and I just have to take a quick moment um, of recognition and appreciation because I have been very deeply, at least in my own version, analytically following uh, the B2B space. A lot of this new tech marketing, all this fun stuff, a lot of it is very buzzy, I guess I'll kind of call it. Um, And a lot of it lacks substance. Falcon is not one of them (laughs) at all. Um, The people you're creating, the product you're developing, uh, the aura and the vibe and kind of the energy that you're steering forward here, it is noticed, it is appreciated, and I cannot wait to see what is in store for you. Thank you so much, Travis. That's very kind. Thank you very much for sharing your time. We're going to jump to the final final question of the show here. And this last one is for one specific listener. They might be starting on this journey or they might just be stuck taking it to the next level. What final words of advice or motivation can you share to send them into beast mode? You only lose when you give up. So don't give up. Just show up. That's it. Boom! There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to the B2B podcast. This has been Mona Akmal. You're a beast.